My name is Dominic Wong. I'm an associate pastor here at The Bridge, where we exist to develop fully devoted followers of Christ in a multi-ethnic context. Our text today is from Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. And if you spent time in the book of Proverbs, my guess is you know this passage. This one's a deep cut. This is a greatest hit. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 12. We're going to read it responsively. I'll read the odd verses, and if you could please join me in reading the even. Bridget, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Starting in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Bridge, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. <clears throat> Our passage today starts with the words of a father speaking to his son. He says in verse one, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. This is a command. In fact, it's a command about commands. The father says, I command you, son, don't forget my teaching. Keep my commands. Parents in the room, how many times have you said something like that? Kids, I don't want to have to repeat myself. Remember what I'm saying. Don't forget it. And parents, how often do they actually do that? As someone who was once a child, I know that most of the time it's in one ear and out the other. And so you say it again and again and again, and why do you do that, parents? Why go to all that trouble? Why is it so important that your kids remember what you say? Why keep these commands in their heart? It's not because you said so. It's not because they'll get in trouble. It's not because it'd make your life easier. I mean, it'd be easier to just let them mess up, do what they're going to do. No, the father in today's passage says, son, keep these commands. Why? Because it's going to be good for you. 
Verse two, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That's a promise. Don't forget, son. Keep my commands. Why? Because if you do, you'll live longer and more peacefully. Now, I don't know if you noticed it as we were reading, but today's passage has a pattern, an alternating rhythm, a a back and forth between the verses I read and the verses you read. Command, promise. Command, promise. Command, promise. Command, don't forget. Because promise, you'll have a better life. And that pattern continues. Look at verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. These are commands. Son, don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind my commandments around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. You hear that? Our hearts are like tablets. They're like iPads. Write these commandments down on your hearts. Make them your lock screen photo. Put it on a t-shirt. Get a tattoo. Do what you need to do. But remember these commandments. And why? Because these commands come with a promise. Verse 4. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Why? Because it'll be good for you. Son, remember your father's commandments and you'll get along well with both God and man. Remember these commands and there's a promise. Okay, so now hold on. What is the Bible saying here? What is it actually saying? What do we today have to do? Let's unpack that first verse. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. What, what commandment are we supposed to keep? What is the teaching that we're supposed to remember? Is Proverbs just saying, listen to your parents? Just remember what your parents say and you'll have a great life. Is that what the Bible's saying? Is that true? I mean, I could see how this might be true for a lot of people. For instance, this would easily apply to the vast majority of, of, of five-year-olds. kid. Listen to your mom when she says, stay out of the road or keep your hand off the stove. Trust me, you'll have a much longer and happier life. After all, most parents want the best for their kids, and and most parents are a lot wiser than their kids, at least at first. But there are also a lot of folks with terrible parents who give terrible commands. Foolish, abusive, unbiblical even, commands. So can this be true? Is, is the book of Proverbs saying we just got to remember our parents' commands even though those commands aren't that great? I, I don't think that's what Proverbs is saying. No, instead, I think Proverbs is telling us to remember something a little more specific than just whatever our parents tell us to do. What is the son supposed to bind to his neck? What is he writing on his heart? Not just any old command that his dad says. Not, son, clean your room. Check. Son, take out the trash. Got it. No, all throughout this first section of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, the father's main command has been what? He's been saying, son, get wisdom. 
Son, wise up. I think that's it. I think that's what he's been talking about. And I think it's what he's talking about here. Get wisdom. Easy enough. That's simple. But how do we do that? How do we follow the Father's command? How do we get wise? Should we have our kids memorize the book of Proverbs? Maybe. Why not? That'd be awesome. Scripture memory is great. Should we read some theology books and listen to some sermons? Sure, yeah, those those are helpful. All that stuff is good and helpful, and I'd be thrilled if everyone did those things. But that's not all there is to it. Proverbs wants us to do something more, more than rote memory, more than head knowledge, more than just getting the right answers. Proverbs wants us to go a whole lot deeper. Proverbs wants us to get wisdom down here in our hearts. That's why verse 1 told us to let our hearts keep these commandments. And then verse 3 told us to write them on the tablet of our hearts. And now here in verse 5, we see this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Sometimes following God can feel like it's all about what we know. And that can be a bit discouraging because there's just so much that we don't know. Maybe I'm not smart enough to be a Christian. Maybe I don't have enough time. And on the flip side, sometimes it can feel like certain people, the professionals like me or Pastor Brandon, are somehow in a league of our own. Like we're the super extra holy ones, the ones who really know what we're talking about. After all, we spend a lot more time during the week thinking about this stuff. I mean, it's our job. But the crazy thing, the really counterintuitive thing about following God is that wisdom, God's wisdom, is first and foremost a hard thing. You might have a fancy seminary degree. You you might be writing books. You might be a pastor. Shoot, you might even have the whole Bible memorized. But none of that knowledge means anything if you don't trust in the Lord with your heart. Believe me, there are a lot of people who have spent their whole lives studying the Bible, who who know a lot more than any of us are going to learn in our whole lifetime, who can quote more scripture than we can, but who don't really believe it in their hearts. You know what? God doesn't want that. He wants something more. Now, am I saying that knowledge is bad or unimportant? No. Knowledge is not bad. Knowledge is a gift. It's a blessing. God uses it to equip his saints. After all, you can't follow God with your heart if you don't even know who he is. How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? You have to know him to love him. I'm not saying you don't need knowledge. But what I am saying is that how much you know is not and cannot be the measure of your faith. God doesn't need you to be some super genius theology nerd. God isn't looking for the the best and the brightest to be part of his family. 
God doesn't care about the things that this world cares about. God cares about whether or not we trust him in our hearts. Bridge, do you trust him? Do you trust in the Lord with all your heart? What does that look like? What does it look like to trust God? It looks like believing deep down that you don't have it all together but God does. That you don't got this, but God's got this. It means not leaning on your own understanding, your own sense of wisdom, but on God, on God's wisdom. Now, this is all really easy to say. It's easy to talk about, but friends, in practice, this does not come naturally to us. As, as highly individualistic, modern Americans, shoot, as human beings, what do we always say? I got this. I don't need nobody. I did the research. I got the know-how. If I'm going to trust anyone, it's me. Bridge, we are wise in our own eyes. We think we know best. We lean on our own understanding. It's why every Hollywood movie tells you what? Trust your heart. Follow your dreams. Live your truth. It's, it's why we're so suspicious of authority figures. While we don't like being told what to do, don't tread on me, my body, my choice. It's why so many of us who know Christ even only think to ask God for help when it's something really hard, something really out there, when it's a God thing. Why most of the time we don't stop to pray and instead we think, okay, it's okay, I got this. We see God as a last resort, someone to bail us out if the going gets tough. But the book of Proverbs says no. If you think you're all that, if you think you've made it, if you are wise in your own eyes, you're fooling yourself. Your understanding isn't strong enough to lean on. You don't know as much as you think you do. But you know what? The book of Proverbs says that's okay because we're not alone. We are, we are not on our own, so it's okay if we don't know everything. If we were on our own, if, if it was just us, then if we don't got it, who does? If it was just us, then, and, then if we're not looking out for ourselves, then no one will. If we're not wise, then who will be? But thank God, Bridge, that we are not alone. Bridge, thank God that we have a God like ours, a God who listens when we pray, who cares deeply about us, who will not leave us on our own. Bridge, if we have a God like this, a God who's with us, then why in the world would we lean on our own understanding? Why, why would we be wise in our own eyes? Why, when wisdom isn't something we get on our own? Now, what does Proverbs say about the source of our wisdom? What have we been hearing since, since chapter one? What is the beginning of wisdom, Bridge? The fear of the Lord. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's why in verse seven we hear, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Our wisdom comes from God. So fear God. How do you fear God? How, how do you fear the Lord? What does that look like? Does it mean just constantly being terrified everywhere you go because God's everywhere? Is that, is that what it means to fear God? Fearing the Lord looks like not leaning on your own understanding, but instead trusting in God. It looks like not being wise in your own eyes, but instead seeking the Lord's wisdom. And as verse 6 tells us, it looks like acknowledging God in all our ways so that he will make straight our paths. What does that look like? What does it mean to acknowledge God in all our ways? What's that thing that pro athletes do? The, you know that? Is that it? Is, is that acknowledging God? Is it, is it praying before you eat? Maybe not before appetizers, before the main meal? Is it having a Bible verse in your Instagram bio? Maybe, sure, feel free to do all of those things. Those are good things. But fearing the Lord is a lot more than all that. Acknowledging God in all our ways is a whole lot more than all of that. Our English Bibles don't fully capture what Proverbs means by the word acknowledge. Literally, that word acknowledge means to know. Proverbs says, in all our ways, we should know God. But again, this is not just an intellectual kind of knowing. It's not just knowing that God exists or that theoretically he made everything. Folks, this is a deep kind of knowing. It's what we mean when we say, I know Pastor Brandon. I know what he's like. I know him. This is an intimate personal kind of heart knowledge, not just knowing stuff about God, it's knowing God. The way you know a spouse or a good friend, this kind of knowing is when you get them, when you just vibe with them. Proverbs wants us to take that kind of knowing and it wants us to do more than just lip service, more than a, more than just passing comments, more than a, oh yeah, I, I guess God helped too. No, here we are being told to let a knowledge of God orient our whole lives, all our ways, towards him in everything that we do. This is total life transformation. And so to finish out our passage, Proverbs is going to highlight two areas of our lives, two areas where we can choose to acknowledge God in both the highs and the lows. First, the highs. Look with me at verse nine. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. And then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So suppose you hit it big. 
You work hard, you budget right, you make the right investments, and you end up with a fat chunk of change. How should you look at your wealth? What should you do with it? Ask around and you might get a a bunch of different answers. Someone might say, bro, treat yourself. Get something nice. Wealth is meant to be enjoyed. After all, you earned it. Someone else might say, man, trust me, invest it. Make your money work for you. Make it productive. Wealth is too precious to waste. After all, you work so hard to earn it. And now hear me right. There's nothing wrong with enjoying life. And there's nothing wrong with careful money management. Both of those are good things. But the Bible has an understanding of money that goes far deeper than that, that radically challenges the world's wisdom. Over and over again, Scripture tells us that wealth comes from where? From the Lord. Don't get me wrong, hard work is important. And God blesses us through our hard work. Read on and you'll see Proverbs has a lot to say about hard work. But hard work doesn't guarantee that you'll be wealthy. There's a lot of folks that work really hard and never make it. And when hard work doesn't pay off, it doesn't mean that you did something wrong. It's only because, or when hard work does pay off, it's only because God chose to bless your work. If that's true, if everything you have is a gift from the Lord, if that's true, then it radically transforms how you look at wealth. Suddenly, it's no longer yours to do with as you will. If we truly believe that wealth comes from God, then Proverbs tells us that even if we end up enjoying our wealth or investing it, even if we do something else, we need to acknowledge God in all of that. We need to honor the Lord with our wealth and with the first fruits of our produce. Now, maybe you hear me say that and you think, got it, okay, I'll tie the 10% and and maybe give a little to the building project or or a missionary and, and then I'm good. I've done what I need to do. I've covered my bases. But folks, that's missing the point. God doesn't want 10%. He wants it all. 100%. He's the one who gave you all of it. And so it all belongs to him. So what does that mean? Give everything I have to the bridge? If you're feeling led. (laughs) No, no, that that, that is not what that means. It means something a lot more radical. Something a whole lot more difficult. It means whenever you have a dollar, whether in your wallet or your bank account, you look at that dollar and you think, this is God's dollar. I got it from him. And then it means asking yourself, is what I'm going to do with this dollar honoring to God? How can I honor him with it? Maybe that means giving to the church. I think that's a very God-honoring discipline. But maybe it means using that money to love your neighbor. Maybe it means spending that dollar to bless your children or your spouse. Maybe it means saving it so you can be generous later. Maybe it means using it to enjoy something good. 
It could be any of that. But the difficult task for you believers is to take it all to the Lord. To not take it for granted, but to take it to the Lord. To acknowledge him in all your ways. Whenever you get that paycheck, whenever you sit down to budget, those are opportunities to worship our Lord. To pray and ask him what he wants you to do with your finances. Yes, even our finances are an opportunity to worship. Follow this command, Proverbs says, and then in verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. It's a pretty good deal, pretty solid investment. What is this verse saying? Give it to God and he's gonna give it right back. Oh, okay, now pause, hold up. Is that what Proverbs is saying? Give God your money and and he'll make you some more? Bless my ministry and God will bless you? Bridget, have you heard this kind of lesson before? Because it's a popular one. Lots of people preach it and lots of folk believe it. It's called the health and wealth gospel or the prosperity gospel. And, And Bridge, let me just say that it is no gospel at all. This distortion of the gospel teaches that God just wants you to be happy. And all you gotta do is cut him a check. All you gotta do is is give to God and you'll get a good return on investment. But Bridge, God is not a 401k. He's not a get-rich-quick scheme. He doesn't work like a vending machine. He will not be manipulated. Yes, passages like the one we just read really are true. God provides abundantly for those who honor him. Scripture is filled with people who were blessed for their love of God. For instance, the Bible tells us about the story of Job. Remember that one? Job was a man who was blameless and upright. Job did exactly word for word what today's passage says to do. Job feared the Lord and Job turned from evil. Those exact words in Job. And so what did God do? He blessed the work of Job's hands. He gave Job incredible wealth. And if that was where the story ended, then yeah, maybe it is as simple as they say. Maybe God owes us when we give him stuff. Except wait. We honor God with our wealth because all wealth comes from God, which means God can do with it as he chooses. And generally speaking, yes, God does bless those who honor him. But what happens to Job? You lost everything overnight. And why did that happen? Was it because Job messed up? Did he forget to tithe one week? Or or did he not honor God? Did did God stop loving him? No, no, and no. God did not stop loving Job when he let him go through hard times. And and Job's, Job's hard times were not a punishment from God. Instead, God was giving Job a chance to honor God, not just in the highs, but in the lows. To acknowledge God in all his ways. Brothers and sisters, be careful of any so-called gospel that has room only for the highs, but not for the lows. Beware of teachers who equate a godly life with a wealthy life. Teachers who only read verses 9 and 10 of today's passage but who skipped the rest of the passage. Let's not make that mistake. Look at me at verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline 
or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Bridge, when hard times come, when things are tough, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Don't listen to the advice of Job's wife who said, Job, just curse God and die. Don't despise God. Because brothers and sisters, the hard times, the the layoffs, the missed payments, the illness, even the loss, even the tragedy, none of those are proof that God has stopped loving you. In fact, the incredible truth, the the, the mind-bending thing, the difficult thing to wrap our heads around is that far from not loving us anymore, God takes us through hard times precisely because he loves us. That's what the passage says. The Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. Bridge, this is a very hard teaching. When hard times come, this is not an easy thing to do. I, I, I don't really feel like God's delighting in me when times are tough, do you? I ask questions. I wonder, does God really love me when life is hard? I ask, how how can I acknowledge God in all my ways in times like this? Bridge, these are not new questions. These are questions the church has been asking since day one. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, the author quotes today's passage. It quotes Proverbs to give us an answer to some of these questions. And so I want to end by looking at that passage. Hebrews 12, verse 2, there, the author of Hebrews tells us that in hard times, we have to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising not God, but despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Virgin, your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Hear from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Bridge, if we're trying to make sense of this hard teaching, we need to look to Jesus, the perfect son of God, who died on the cross. Jesus, who even in death honored the Father, who acknowledged him in all his ways, who trusted him, and who did not despise the Father's discipline. Jesus didn't do this because he deserved that discipline, not because he earned the cross, but for us, for our sake, because we needed it, because even today we lean on our own understanding. We are wise in our own ways. We forget the Father's teaching. We have let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake us. But Jesus came to fulfill the words of the prophet Jeremiah, to make a new covenant 
to put God's law within us, to write it where? On the tablet of our hearts, forgiving us our iniquity and remembering our sins no more. Bridge, because of Jesus, we know the Father's love. Because of Jesus, our paths are made straight. Because of Jesus, we have the favor of God. And so our task today remains the same as it was for the son in the book of Proverbs, the same as it was for Job, the same as it was for the church in the book of Hebrews. Our task is to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to lean not on our own understanding, to acknowledge the Lord in all our ways, even the highs and the lows, to fear God and to turn from evil. If you keep this command in your heart, if you remember this teaching, don't be surprised when hard times come. They will. Don't be surprised when your life starts to look a lot more like the cross, a lot more like Jesus. But have hope. Take courage. God's promises are true. And if you find your hope in Christ, on the other side of that discipline, on the other side of this life, God will add to you everlasting length of days, eternal years of life, and abounding peace. And God will make your paths straight. For this is not an easy teaching, but it's one we need to take seriously. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and to lean not on our own understanding, to acknowledge him in all our ways. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that so much of the time we lean on ourselves. We forget that you're there. We think you're not there. God, we confess that that so often we live like it's just us. We live like we're the wisest ones in the room. We forget to acknowledge you. We confess that we despise your discipline when times get tough. And when times are good, we forget that you're the one who gave us everything. You're the one who blessed us. We confess all of these things, Lord, and we ask that you would help us to repent, that you would give us new hearts, that you would refresh us, renew us, God. Help us to live into who we were made to be. Help us to see the law that is written on our hearts. God, to turn to you, to lean on you, to trust in you. God, every good thing comes from you, and so we praise you, we thank you as the one who's given us everything, as the one who loves us. God, train our hearts, set our hearts on you. God, this week, help us in everything to acknowledge you. God, in our finances. God, in our prayers. God, in our jobs, in our families, in our homes. Let it be for you and not ourselves. Help us to know what a life built on you looks like. God, we need you to do this. We can't do it on our own. And so we lean on you. 
We trust in you. We thank you for your son who made it possible for us to fulfill this commandment. Thank you for him. It's in his name we pray.